I'm happy that I'm recovering from addiction. I'm happy that I'm a trauma survivor. I'm happy that I'm a trans man in the world right now and got to do something with that. Welcome to this episode of Safe Home Podcast for struggling teens and their families finding their healing path. I'm Beth Syverson, a mom of an 18-year-old son, Joey, who has been dealing with drug addiction, depression, anxiety, and suicidal ideation for several years. I'm walking beside him as he struggles with his recovery while I work on my own personal growth and healing. This episode has some frank discussion of substances, mentions of suicide attempts, and I even drop an F-bomb. So just to warn you, today's guest is Lona Curry. He's the host of two podcasts, The Transgender Mentor and Recovery Soul Food. He is a recovered drug addict and a trans man. We're going to have a wonderful conversation today. Well, welcome to Safe Home, Elsie. Great to have you here. Well, thank you so much. I'm honored truly to be here. I appreciate what you're doing in the community and hope that I can somehow be of service in some way. So thank you. So grateful. Uh, So I met you through Pamela Topchian, who I interviewed a couple of weeks ago. She was on episode 27 about hypnotherapy, and she co-hosts your Transgender Mentor Show. She does. With you. Yes. As a straight ally, and you're the trans expert on all things trans. (laughs) (laughs) It's it's possible. (laughs) It's a great show. I mean, you can't speak for every trans person, but it's a great show that you can just ask anything, right? It's just to help people understand what's going on, right? Absolutely. Pamela brings that that point of view where it comes through for that whole demographic of allies that, you know, we want to do something, but we're mm-hmm. so afraid to offend that yeah. it kind of stops us sometimes from doing it. And so mm-hmm. I felt like everything I've been through in my life is somehow a lesson to give back. And so I thought mm-hmm. when I experienced that in my own trans support group, where I found that I was so nervous, you know, that I didn't feel safe there. I thought this has got to be how many people and I met Pam and Pam told me that's how she felt. And I thought, well, I want to do something, you know, for not only just the trans community, but for, you know, the cis ally community, because that's how it's going to change. It's not going to change because we yell loud enough. It's going to be more people just sharing that same heart of being able to see divinity in each one of us and not you know, and look past all the labels that make us feel safe, you know? Yes. Well, thank you for, you know, putting yourself out there and being a role model and an example and a a transformational force for your community and our community. I think that's really, really awesome. Thank you so much. It's an honor to get to do it. I'm happy that I'm recovering from addiction. I'm happy that I'm a trauma survivor. I'm happy that I'm a trans man in the world right now. And yeah. Got to do something with that. Did you ever think you would say that? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> I bet there were some dark days. Like, oh, gosh. Yes. No, never. Don't want to be here. No. Oh, yeah. So tell me, I know you used substances for a long time. Yes. How old were you when you started? I was actually 11 years old when I discovered alcohol and what it uh-huh. what it did and why people, you know, did it. Um, My father was a weekend drunk. He was Mm. a drinker all through the week, but he was one of those functioning addicts. And Mm -hmm. I 
didn't meet him until I was eight or nine, didn't really start spending time with him until I was about nine years old. And that's what they did every weekend was drink. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. so I found that, you know, as I got a little older, he, you know, would offer me to have alcohol. And Mm -hmm. so basically I'd watch my little brother and drink alcohol and I was holding all these secrets about what was happening at home. And so when I got the alcohol, I could escape from feeling foreign in my body, the abuse I was suffering at home. And I could also connect with my father, who I desperately just wanted to see me, you know, and and not feel, you know, everything was because I was a girl, you know, like everything to me was because I'd watch him with my little brother be close to my little brother, but he would keep a certain distance from me. And so that translates back to a person. Like I knew that I was different when I was four realizing gender. I knew that this Mm -hmm. wasn't right. And so that's Mm -hmm. what all that represented to me. So at home, having that body being violated in a way that made it feel very female at the same time, trying to be seen by my dad and connect this alcohol just was a perfect storm for me at 11. Oh, wow. And your dad's probably trying to connect with you by saying, here, have this drink. Exactly. We're, we're here together as family. It's all right. I I got you. Yeah. I hear a lot of parents say, I'd rather they do it under my roof. So I'm going to give it to them myself. Yeah. That was exactly their motto. Yeah. Probably figure you do it anyway. So I might as well give it to them. How do you think that worked out for you? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, would you recommend that strategy? I, 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 I really don't because <laughs> that did not work out well for me, nor do I believe it's worked out well for almost, you know, any longtime suffering addict. If you talk to a lot mm-hmm. of, of people that it were found addiction, they generally found some type of use early because you know we're talking about mm-hmm. 11 years old the brain's changing i mean Oof. we're we've all of a sudden just flooded an 11 year old brain with every escaping <sighs> dopamine serotonin yeah. hit all at one time and all of you know that became the answer for me yeah i think especially at that age when your brain's not cooked yet it's like fireworks and then it's yes. impossible to replicate that. And then you're constantly seeking for that stimulation yes. again. Like, yes. oh my gosh. And then you need more. Then you yes. need it harder or something or other. Yes. So where did where did that take you? Started with alcohol. It started with then... alcohol. And then of course I moved on to marijuana, but I don't even think marijuana really gave me it. That didn't really give me so much my gateway. What gave me the gateway into what I felt like was hard drugs at 12 years old was this little inhalant that they called Rush back in the day. Mm. And it was sold as VCR head cleaner and you sniffed it and it gave you this. It was, you know, an inhalant. So you sniffed it and it gave you this crazy rush, but it was gone real quick. And this Mm. older boy, you know, let me have some of it. And, and immediately I was back over at this, at his house doing, I need some more. I want some more of that. How do I get some more? And I remember being that way, that first moment that, you know, something made that connection for me. It clicked. It It did. It clicked and you were just gone from there. Absolutely. And everything that I did went like that, you know, uh-huh. Do you think you're particularly susceptible 
maybe genetically yes. to addiction. Yeah. 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 Yeah, for sure. Yeah, we think Joey, you know, we don't know Joey's birth parents, mm-hmm. but I will bet you <laughs> that there's some addiction in there because his addiction is also extremely strong. Like he does not goof around with stuff. He yeah. just goes all out. All out. Give me all you got. That's the it. Strongest thing, whatever. Though. Yep. So by 12, you're using inhalants. Yep. 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 So you're at uh, Radio Shack every week yeah. trying to get some yeah. VCR cleaner. Trying to get some VCR cleaner, chasing around oh, this no. one boy that had it, you know, like a like a fiend already. Oh, and then it man. then it what ended up happening from there is I started during that time, we're talking 13 and 14, when my body was really morphing out on me, I mm. became mm. Uh, a self-mutilator. I hate that word because it sounds oh. so it sounds so Halloweenish, but you know that's what they called it. You know, when, at that uh-huh. time when I was going through that, and was still going through a lot of abuse at home. You know, my mom had just married someone else who was equally as fantastic mm. as the few before. <laughs> um, oh no! So I had had those issues. So I went in and out of these like little hospital stays where I would go for the 90 days. And, Mm. and so all throughout that time, it would mostly be alcohol. Like alcohol seemed pretty easy to get in those times. And so, and it was here and there with the, with the weed, but it was when I was 19 that opiates came into, into my, Mm. you know, awareness. And from that moment, that was all I ever wanted out of life was, you know, to feel that semi-happiness and it had to be an alternative. And I thought I was really broken because I thought the only way I can experience any kind of happiness or peace or joy or anything is, is behind some type of artificial substance. Is this my life? And so, So you couldn't even imagine being without it. Like, no, no. Like you would die if you didn't have it. Yeah. Or you would cease to exist. Like it it was like, who am I underneath all this? Yeah. Who am I? That was it. How can I mask all of this? How do I pretend to be okay in my skin? How do I carry around all this, this pain? And and I constantly carried the question of why me? You know, Mm -hmm. I didn't see it as a, you know, which most kids don't didn't see it as a greater purpose or anything like that. People call you. I remember how angry I used to get when people would say, well, you're a survivor. And I would just get so angry and say, but I don't want to be, you know, I was tired of the fight Uh, within mm -hmm. by the time I was 19, 20. I just, and that's how long you stay, you know, fighting this fight within and trying to deal with all the rest of it was just overwhelming to me and and so opiates was a very easy fix for me and I it was in the 90s so I had had a pretty major stomach surgery when I was 20 and Uh so after that I had multiple stomach surgeries because they did that one wrong so and and this was all in the 90s so in the 90s they were pushing pain they're passing them out like candy oh yeah I mean it there was they were so easy to get, but mm. nobody ever told anybody that you could be addicted to them. So I, I didn't know what was happening to my body and my emotions when I would run out of these things. I didn't put the two together. Oh. 
Were you just experiencing pain and just like, I need more pain pills? Yeah, I was experiencing like full on withdrawals that I didn't even know yeah. were withdrawals with the, yeah. you know, with the vomiting and the, the chills and oh. the restless legs and the, you know, the, oh. the diarrhea and the emotional stuff that just starts coming. I mean, it all just rushes back oh. over you. And I would, I ended up going down this really tainted road of, of going from doctor to doctor to doctor to doctor mm. to doctor and and then naturally it leads to heroin because yeah. you know eventually it does yeah eventually so. the doctor won't say right okay you can have some more no. eventually you'll come to the end of the road and then heroin's yep. the next thing yeah yeah yep. and you've been blacklisted throughout the whole medical community you know when yeah. by that by the time you get to heroin you've been blacklisted and nobody within three states will will give you even the smallest thing it's you know mm. it, you get that stigma already and you feel like it's the next yeah. natural step because the stigma's there already it's so horrible because they push it on you they're handing them out like candy yeah. and then they get you hooked and then they say oh Yep. No, you're bad, you're bad because now you're addicted and no way are we going to help you. Yep. So God, the healthcare system just drives me bananas. Yeah. It's so not helpful. It's not. So you, you found heroin. That's really scary and dangerous. And I understand that heroin makes you feel so warm oh, yeah. and fabulous. Yeah. yeah. And that that's one of the reasons why it's really hard to get off. Yeah. Like, why would you want to leave that? Yeah. And then plus all the withdrawal. Yeah. And the sickness is, the sickness is just terrible. Like, you know, the sickness is, it's so hard to explain to people. I remember early in my recovery when I was still really raw from, you know, from mm -hmm. addicted language to just the whole mm -hmm. persona that you are during that time it takes a while yeah. to start wearing off. And I bet I remember in the beginning, our state attorney general had come and had a meeting with me and I explained it to him in only terms I knew how I was like, it just think of the creepiest devil, you know, and just reaches down through your head and just pulls your toes and snatches you inside out. And I, he just mm. sat there dumbfounded, you know, that, but that's how it felt to me at that time, you know, where it's just like this living hell. And so now I explain it as the worst stomach flu you've ever had mixed with the greatest depression you've ever known in your life all at the same time, like everything floods back as if the drugs had just been keeping it right outside. <sighs> these little walls yeah it's, i don't know how anyone ever recovers from that how do you push yourself through that when the heroin's intense. just sitting right there like i could just get rid of this pain right now yeah how long were you hooked on heroin then or opiates in for opiates in general i would say at least 15 years of my life was wow. spent most of it on opiates and destroying relationships and yeah. destroying my whole self-worth. I mean, it was just a complete, it felt like it was going to be a lifetime to the point mm -hmm. that you don't wake up and, you know, want to be here anymore. You just hope that today is the last day. Mm -hmm. And then, Gosh. you know, people are dying around you and then you wake up and you're angry mm -hmm. that, you know, it's, it's a vicious yeah. cycle.
it's hard to get out. Were of. you ever actively suicidal? Oh gosh, yes. There's two times I should not be here still. Mm-hmm. And wow. so, you know, and many accidents. I've had many accidents during blackouts and different things where it just wow. I've had so many head injuries that I developed epilepsy and there there's just been so much damage done that you know I didn't care if I, I was be as dangerous as possible wow. it, yeah you're like fuck it yeah That's, you know yeah I got nothing else to lose right at a certain point I don't mm. and everything that you thought you would get to that was going to make you happy that well I'll be happy when I get mm. to that you know I had identified as a lesbian in the 90s. And the 90s were pretty cool. It was pretty cool to be a lesbian in the yeah, 90s. Yeah, Ellen you know? and all of that. Absolutely. <laughs> but I still knew that that wasn't my true identity. You know, like it gave mm-hmm. me the ability to, you know, to date and 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 feel safe mm-hmm. and, and all of those things. But at the same time, I knew that still didn't fit. But I hoped it would Mm -hmm. fit enough that it would suffice never stepping into, you know, my true identity. And that's why, you know, it took recovery to get me to the place to be able to to transition at 44 years old. You know, that's just how much healing had to happen before I could be me. So you had to recover first before you could even deal with your your gender and all that. Absolutely. Now, what caused you to decide not decide or I don't know how how did you recover <laughs> how did how did that happen well I just got to the end I I had had a little bit of I had had some gained some clean and sober time through MAT programs in the past you want to explain what that is uh, yes absolutely that's medication assisted treatment which is generally your Vivitrol's um, methadone or Suboxone at this point. And so basically it keeps the withdrawals in the body Mm -hmm. down. It it binds to the opioid receptors and then it has the blocker in there. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. I had gained some time in there where I was, you know, just using my medication and I was working and, you know, I had a home and, and my wife and I had moved states away. I mean, I, I had already lived past getting a diagnosis of not having mm-hmm. it. You know, I'd had some of that time, but I'd never had any time where I went within myself and and just had this mm-hmm. completely different awakening. I kept thinking recovery was just about being clean and sober. I didn't think it was about doing yeah. anything different. And yeah. so I just became one of those people that, was just angry. I had a little bit of clean time, but mm-hmm. I was still just angry. I was still having all the same emotions and I was didn't have a coping skill for them. So I was angry all the time. Uh, yeah. You know, so you were clean and sober, but uh, hadn't addressed the core issues right. yet right. that caused you to start using substances at 11 in the first place. Yep. Absolutely. But that must have been hard to face all of that. You had quite a bit of trauma. Yes. That's a lot for anyone to deal with. So how did you decide, okay, I'm going to stare this in the face and go deal with it, fight this dragon? I had had, um, during the time that I had some of that clean time, I had built some relationships back in my life for the first time. Mm. Um, And my son was, uh, he was about 11 or 12 
at this time. And I just, I got off of the program. I thought I made a good stab at it. I was doing it alone. I got off of the MAT by myself and there was some withdrawals that went there. But within six months, I was back on full-blown heroin. And for nine months, Mm. I hid this relapse from everyone Mm. around me. I mean, we could have been homeless. Our son never saw, and my wife relapsed with me. And this was her first time on heroin ever. So she's experiencing heroin for the first time. I'm in my last moments of this. I know at this point, I cannot live this way anymore. Our son... We had had to move in with my mom and her husband, which was not lesbian friendly. And so it was a very tough Mm. place with a, you know, strange energy to be in. And my son, we never saw us use, but he he stressed out, you know, kids know things inherently through energy. Absolutely. Something's not right. And he ended up gaining like 100 pounds in six months and we took him to the doctor yeah and the doctor told us he's got something called Cushing's disease which for adolescents is an overactive adrenal gland so the stress hormone is cortisol Mm. is just overactive and that's what was causing him to put on all this weight and you know when I heard that and I realized by looking at my son here that Mm that this stress, you know, it's my job. Like I'm supposed Mm -hmm. to do better by him. And I got Mm -hmm. to, and being this angry human being and, and in this relapse, this is not going to work. So I got to do something different. And I knew in that moment, I had to go back to MAT because I knew I wasn't going to be able to do it when my body was sick, but I made Mm -hmm. a different relationship with MAT. I went in with a different core set of core values when I went in. I was going to do this for my son because he deserved better of me. Mm -hmm. And I didn't want to repeat the same mistakes. I wanted to really keep him from a lot of the same abuses that I went through. And I just Mm -hmm. wanted to try to give him the best life possible. So I just made that decision not to be a hypocrite. So I went back to MAT, one with a strict program that had great accountability that's what i need accountability okay mm-hmm. and they mm-hmm. had great accountability i made a deal with myself that i would only go to a certain milligram and i kept it under 100 milligrams because i had to do methadone suboxone didn't click with my body so i had to do the methadone i only would go to a certain extent and then i started dealing with myself because if i was still a little bit sick in my body instead of going up past what i had set for myself I knew that I mm-hmm. could be okay, that I could start mindful, becoming mindful and check in with mm-hmm. my body and start telling my body a different story about this medication. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I just forced that program to let me take part in every service that they had, whether it was rape <laughs> counseling, I did it all. Rape counseling, Good. drug counseling, you know, trauma counseling. I, I did all of it. And eventually that would be the same program that led me into HRT. Oh, wow. So is this a community program or nonprofit or your healthcare system? It's well, it started out as a nonprofit. Now it's been bought by Trillium, um, but it's a pretty large in our area. It's Coastal Horizons. 
um, mm. and they're pretty large in the state of North Carolina, and they have federal aid funded programs for MAT. Mm. They have a lot of great programs. They even had a housing program yeah. that we got into. So I went into this program and I was going to force them to help me and I was going to trust wow. them. Well, and it seems like they understood that people don't just use heroin just for fun. Yeah, absolutely. You know, there's a reason people get into using these really hard substances that they're trying to cope with whatever, yeah. trauma, yeah. abuse, whatever's underneath there. So it sounds like they provided programs that helped people to figure out what that is yeah. and try to heal that. Yeah. Okay. So you worked through some of that. So that's when you were like, okay, I'm a trans man. Let's go do this thing. Yep. Absolutely. So after you recovered from your substance use and worked through your sexual trauma yep. from when you were a kid and probably some other yep. stuff, then you're like, okay, I need to be who I am. Absolutely. Went through hormone replacement therapy, right? Through the same organization. Yeah, same organization. That's they amazing. had a medical program just so happened that the day I made up my mind to go and see a doctor about this it was a brand new doctor I had not seen her before she was new to the practice I go in and I go through this whole fake thing where she thinks I'm there for my stomach and then before the thing ends I get the nerve to tell her what I'm there for and then she turns around and says well I am one of the only two HRT trans treatment doctors in this area. So wow. I knew that this I had made the right decision and I did that was just wow. my sign that said you're on the path. And you have wow. to use it because I was doing I was doing had had built a pretty good, pretty large online recovery following on Facebook. And I was okay. doing videos unique because I didn't see anybody that was LGBTQ plus. And at that time I was still, mm -hmm. you know, identifying as lesbian. The L. Yeah, uh -huh. the L. So I was doing videos about people healing the roots so they could recover mm -hmm. and not always worry about relapse. And that kept saying, you got to get to your roots. And I went on and they had watched me grow in all this for like three years. Mm -hmm. And then I thought about, well, maybe I should just stop and go through HRT and come back and start all over. And I thought, again, that's a hypocrite. That's hypocritical. And mm. if I couldn't be hypocritical with my son, I can't be hypocritical with my audience. They deserve to see me as my authentic self. And, mm -hmm. you know, I understand I may lose some. And I had sponsors at that time and and things were getting ready to kind of, they were taken off in my career as a speaker uh -huh. and, uh -huh. and, and different things. And they kept telling me, you don't have to tell them. People won't know for a while oh. and you don't have to tell them. And, and so I did. Is your sponsor saying that? Yeah. And so oh, I, I did. I told and I've just kind of let them follow me with this journey of what true healing looks like. Like mm -hmm. whatever authentic is to you. That's what I hope mm -hmm. my life represents to you. Not mm -hmm. just trans issues, but that if I can walk in my authentic shoes and the mm -hmm. world has to see me they're seeing my shadow work you can do yeah. your shadow work and become who yeah, yeah. you authentically are yeah you're choosing to do it out in public basically yeah, yeah. to help other people but not everyone has to do it like right that. absolutely <laughs> you absolutely. don't have to do it always on no. youtube <laughs> no exactly not 
but you never know who your life may touch. And if we spend time, mm-hmm. I, I, I figured out that I spent so much time trying to run from my authentic truth and run into the arms of what society, you know, expected mm-hmm. of me or, or said is acceptable. And I never fit mm-hmm. in there anyway. And it's like, so the further I got away from my authentic self, the more I used, the more I became mm-hmm. addicted, you know, the more I sabotaged myself, harmed myself in many ways, physically mm-hmm. and emotionally. And to know that the path back was just to stop and turn around and go back mm-hmm. to myself. All that mm-hmm. stuff that I listened to should be hidden the answer was to go back to that stuff. And, you know, I think that if we, if we learn how to just live authentically in our shoes, whatever shoes they may be, you know, mm-hmm. then we're walking in our, our divine purpose just by being who we are. And that touches other mm-hmm. lives around you, whether it's, you know, through a, an amazing podcast or, you know, somebody you talk to in the parking mm-hmm. lot somewhere. It doesn't matter. Your life touches somebody. Yeah. Well, your story sure is inspiring. And and not everyone is going to be trans or have such a giant transformation to become authentic. Absolutely. So your being willing to be vulnerable and open and honest with people is very inspiring. Because maybe somebody, you know, wants to quit their secretary job and go be a singer or exactly. something. You know, yes. you know it's yes. not quite as big of a thing as... Uh, you know, changing your gender, Yes, but it may feel that Absolutely. it might feel huge inside that Absolutely. person. Right. So everybody needs yes. to find their own purpose. Now, yes. did you get a lot of backlash? Did you lose your sponsors? Did your family turn on you or did, well, did it work out fine? It, well, it hasn't necessarily worked. It's worked the way it needed to. And I did get some backlash and I still receive some, you know, different, you know, people mm-hmm. to, hide behind the keys and are able to express how they feel no matter how, you know, but I, but that gives me motivation in the world because Mm -hmm. it still reminds me that the job's not done. We still have people. Yeah. They still have people that believe these things and, and that, that, don't want to they feel like it's wrong to have their minds opened and so since it's easier to shut it down and then mm-hmm. put a god period on it and say well god said well oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah god wasn't a white western anglican <laughs> christian you know it's it's, yeah. it's quite oh. amazing but it's, it's so convoluted it has i mean it really really has and i think now is a time bigger than any time ever for us to have the opportunity to shift into a more godlike, Christ-like, whatever the name or label that you have for it mm-hmm. is, and we begin mm-hmm. to walk things out like our authentic selves. This mm-hmm. changes the consciousness of of so many of us as a collective, and then we just vibrate in a different world. And I think we're headed for that. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, and I'm grateful to be a part of it. And I'm grateful that you're a part of it. And, you know, all yeah. that we're doing to speak out about our lives and families. Yeah, I feel it. so like we're both on the same page for sure yeah. about addiction and authenticity and um, acceptance. Do you feel like 
with COVID and all this pandemic and the quarantines, I feel like it's a shift. Yeah. It's forcing a shift yes. in the culture. Do you feel it? Absolutely. Without a doubt. The whole globe is like being shaken like a snow globe. Yes. Like, come on, you guys, <laughs> yes. fix it up. <laughs> yes. Yes. Come on. Yes. Make something better out yes. of you guys. Yes. Oh, there's so much. Well, I am just so impressed with you. I'm so glad that I met you me, through Pamela. I, and I am admiring both of your podcasts. I've listened to both of them and they're on my subscribe list. Oh, and I will continue to follow your journey. Thank you. I I I told Joey about you too. Awesome. He's he's very excited to meet you sometime. Good, too, good. So. I really, really, really want to mm -hmm. meet him. He feels like a soul that I've known or something. Just has that feel yeah. about him. So he's a very old soul. He's been around a while. <laughs> I can I can believe that, and I can also believe that he's in the in this space that he's in because a lot of times too, a lot of the use that I did was I was a musician, and you know mm -hmm. you always hear those things that that drugs expand your mind and and oh, all yeah. of the lies that you get into. But you're he's searching mm -hmm. for something. Mm -hmm. that's that's much deeper he's he's on his journey his path back home yeah. to him yeah. and i think that he is an old soul and that's why he's mm -hmm. he's he's in this thing with addiction because i don't believe anybody comes to addiction by accident i believe that they are mm -hmm. especially called i think that they are mm -hmm. divinely guided and inspired to do something bigger mm -hmm. whether it be their own evolution or the evolution of a group around them but oh, it takes going to a place where you know nothing but bad to come back mm -hmm. and understand what truly is good and i yeah. think that right now your young son is on his path away from himself like i was mm -hmm. on my path away mm -hmm. from myself mm -hmm. and when you the further you get the more separated from that you know mm -hmm. that divine sense of connection to something bigger than you if we could take the suffering out of things, you know, it's the way we look at things mm -hmm. that that takes away the suffering. And so I think if we can talk to young people in this time coming up through an addiction path and into recovery, that we can stop a great number of their years of suffering. We can't stop all their suffering. It's their path home. Yeah. But we can make it easier for them to get there faster. Get out. That's what I'm hoping with my my intentional choice to stay connected with him. Yes. Uh, without enabling him. But, yes. Uh, that he will come out of it yes. quicker. Yes. And not languish for decades. And, yes. um, you know, that he will go, oh, I have people supporting me and I can do this with their help and da da da. -da. Yes. So Absolutely. I have a, a, quick, a quick little story. He, okay. he moved up to Oregon last week okay with the, these friends in a van uh -huh. god help me yeah. uh, <laughs> uh, what can possibly go wrong right, right. so they uh, made it up to oregon and it's it's cold up there right. it's january yeah it's cold <laughs> they have no money they have no food nothing so they called the there there's a community resource there god. it's like a wraparound they they come and help uh, whatever you need um so they gave them a sleeping bag and some food god. and they were really great it's kind of this new model of Love that. social workers instead of yes. police handling yes. homelessness that kind of thing Amazing. so i guess yeah 
I guess they were just really compassionate and helpful, gave them a list of homeless shelters and a list of employers. And so like, oh, thank goodness. And he, he said, mom, they were so great. I asked them if I could work with them. <laughs> he wants to do their job. That's I'm like, awesome. oh, sweetheart. He, I guess they chuckled at him, but uh, perhaps he should, you know, get right. recovered a little bit more before he starts helping others. But I was so grateful that he was yes. in that mode of wanting to help yes. others because I, I know if he can just survive through this, yes. he will be like you and just be a light yes. for others to, to say, okay, you can get through this and yes. here's how, and I'll help you. And, yes. Um, he just has a real heart for that. So I hope soon that he will be in that place and um yes i thought that was so sweet yes it is can i do your job and that's and that's your vibration you know that's the vibration of what you have done in your own personal life that you and your wife have done by because it's not easy to stay connected to them and not enable you know it is not it is not easy to separate for them from them completely but it's less i mean i mean it's really hard to be connected to them and not yeah. enable and, and yeah. keep that supportive safe space so you know in that he's on this journey your vibration is putting people in his path <laughs> that are able to inspire him and look after him and that's that little nugget that comes back to you and mm -hmm. says here's your gift for the work that you've done Aww. here's you know here's how we're doing this and so I really think you're you're on an amazing path. You should be telling other people, and I'm so glad you are, how to do that because that's the worst part is is the the decision between enabling yeah. and not because people think they have to be mean. It's really hard. Yeah, the tough love thing. Yeah, it's better than enabling for yeah. sure. But you don't have to shut them out. You don't have yeah. to shut them out. Yeah. You know, the other night when he was driving up, he called at 2.30 in the morning, which I never like receiving those phone calls. Right. I'm like, yes. oh, God, yes. who is this and what is going on? And he's like, Mom, we're out of gas and we have no money. I'm like, hmm, I wonder how you're <laughs> going to figure that one out. <laughs> right. You know, yeah. I know he was fishing around for money. Yeah. I'm like, he, he knows not to even ask. Yeah. He yeah. knows I won't give him money. But he hung up and kind of in a huff. And I'm like, <laughs> I got to make some more calls. <laughs> but he figured, he figured something out, but yep. he knows that I'm here for him, but not, I'm not going to help support his self-destructive yeah, behavior. Yeah, absolutely. I'm not going to help fund it, Yeah, but I'm here. And so I am trying to help other parents realize it's not just uh, hand him weed or yes. shut him out of your life forever. There's yes. this middle path that. I hope will help him to recover someday. Do you feel like you are recovered and you will never touch heroin or any of it again? Or are you constantly having to work at it? Well, it's always a part of my life, but not in the way that every day anymore is surrounding by me needing to stay clean or getting triggered. I do not suffer from triggers like I did there. Mm -hmm. That world for me it would be so much of a hassle to restart at this point, you know, like it's, I'm eight years clean. I wouldn't uh, know who to call or where to go yeah, at this point. And it's, it's little things like that, that, you know, that are part of what I invented in, in the beginning of my recovery was my recovery battle plan. And that recovery battle plan changes with every year. You know, the first year it was, how am I going to drive to work and not drive by the old places that I used to stop at? Mm. 
because I didn't want to suffer unnecessarily. I knew it was going to be hard enough yeah. if I could get yeah. out in front of some of this stuff. I did. Yeah. Just don't even go there. Don't even exactly. Let's just yeah. just quit it. Let's do something else. Mm -hmm. And so now it looks more like you know continuing to find my authentic authentic self other than just my external body it's it's more about continuing my path back towards the divine of myself and it's those things it's being mindful it's it's going outside of suffering because i know now that every situation that comes into my life now is a blessing for me it's an opportunity mm. or it's an opposition and the choice is mine and there's no right mm. or wrong choice there's just consequences either way. And yeah. so yeah. I don't have to live in shame for myself if, if that turn didn't go right. I just make another turn. And so nice. that's kind of what my recovery looks like today is, is constantly and consistently being in growth to be, you know, my best self and give as mm -hmm. much of myself as possible and nurture myself as much as possible. Mm -hmm. So that's what recovery looks like for me today. That sounds amazing. And I'm sure that your podcasts and other things you do, your YouTube and all that is helping your own recovery. Yeah? Oh gosh. Yes, absolutely. The accountability is great for me. Mm -hmm. um, and, and knowing and, and giving it away and being able to see it help touch other lives because that's all I ever wanted. Cause I, I was a lost cause. Like I was the cause mm -hmm. that, you know, my family all knew that I was going to mm -hmm. be out. They made their peace with my death long time ago. Uh, um, uh -huh. you know, I had made peace with it. So when I, I uh -huh. come to share myself with these people and I don't hold anything back because if I, if I really can make it out of this, I promise you, you can mm -hmm. too. And it doesn't matter where you are if you don't have a stitch of clothing and you don't have a home. I know that that. Mm -hmm. And so I know that if I can do this, then then everyone else can as well. You know, they just gotta find that that one thing I call it, that one thing that becomes bigger than they are. And it's not mm -hmm. shameful if it's not your kids, if you're a parent, and it's not shameful. If it's, you know, if it's not something outside of you, you know, just find what it is, you know, like for me, it was my son and not being that hypocrite and giving him the chance, mm -hmm. you know, I didn't want to ruin his life. But for somebody else, it might be something else, you know, mm -hmm. it, it, find whatever it is that can be bigger than you that can help you mm -hmm. pull through these things. Well, I'm sure people listening are going to be inspired to to just reach for that, whether they're addicted or so. not, to just yeah. continue to reach for finding their best self yes. and keep keep working on becoming truer and truer to yourself. Yes. How can people get a hold of you? If they want to get a hold of me, it is very, very easy. You can go to my YouTube channel, which is youtube.com forward slash recovery soul food, iTunes, iHeartRadio, Spotify, also Facebook, Recovery Soul Food, and at Instagram right now, we're doing a lot of stuff on Instagram and TikTok with one minute small mm -hmm. videos. Yeah. And that is recovery underscore soul food on Instagram and TikTok mm -hmm. is recovery soul food. And the transgender mentor, if you're interested in that, it's basically the same, same thing. We've got YouTube and Facebook and all of that is also on Instagram. So we're everywhere. All right. And I'll list all that on the description. 
And you can find Safe Home Podcast in all those places too, except I haven't really gotten into TikTok. I don't know what to do. I need to figure that out because I know that lots of people are on there that probably need some help. Yes, especially parents. I think that'd be really great. Yeah, so I I am going to look into that. Good. So I'm going to go watch your TikToks right now. Well, thank you. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) I appreciate this so much. I just want to tell you, thank you for what you're doing. And and I really, really appreciate you sharing your journey. And and I, I think that it's much bigger, you know, than even you understand how big it is. Mm-hmm. So thank you for being part of the family that's done their recovery. Because recovery yeah, is not just about you. addiction. The whole family is in recovery. Right. Gotta be. It is a family system thing. It's yes. not just one broken kid. No. Everybody needs to work on themselves. Yes, <laughs> yes, yes. And yes. So thank you for being a vehicle for that. I appreciate yeah, it. Well, thank you. I'm so glad our paths crossed. Me I'm too. sure they will cross many more times. Oh, yes. So thank you, everyone, for listening. Thank you very much for your support for our little family and for Safe Home Podcast. Please share this episode with anyone you know who's struggling with addiction or their gender or, gosh, any any issue where they, they are needing some some real inspiration and some real guidance. Elsie has so much to offer and to share. So please share this episode and support us on Patreon. If you're able and interested, uh, patreon.com backslash safe home and find us on all the socials. And Elsie and I want you to stay Stay safe. safe.